0: Welcome to Movie Maniacs, discussing the greatest movies of all time. And all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us. Rate us. Share us. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chuck Curry. Alongside my co-host, Kenny B. You're listening to Movie Maniacs, our weekly radio podcast heard on uh, WOWO out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at at, uh, 12 midnight. This is the show where we talk and discuss anything related to the wonderful world of motion pictures. That would be movies in layman's terms, uh, television, uh, pop culture, anything that intertwines in that world. A lot to talk about on this week's program, Ken. I got to be honest with you, I got some venting to do. Uh, I see a major shift in our culture, that is very disturbing in terms of the entertainment movie industry. Uh, our top ten uh, segment this, le- this week, at the late latter half of the program, I think a fun one. Uh, top ten roles that we do not want to see recast ever in movies, and the reason we bring up that subject is because a week from this weekend uh friday actually or thursday night as you should say indiana jones and a dollar destiny opens up and that debate rages about should indiana jones who has been played iconically by harrison ford ever be recast now that the property is owned by disney and we all know their greed of wanting to basically take properties and just do whatever and it would Anything uh, to churn out another entry in a franchise. So we're going to talk about that debate and the the, the roles that we do not want to see recast because we think they're near and dear, and nobody else could play that. Role. Uh, with, with Before we get into our topic, uh, many uh, topic here in subject matter, I'm going to introduce uh, Kenny B. Ken, always a pleasure. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. A couple, I, Actually, three things today, and I'll count them because I'm not going to be done until I get to the third. But first of all, you're, you have problems with the movie culture. I have problems with our culture as a whole. I can't tell you how many jokes I saw from comedian friends of mine on Facebook regarding this tragedy of the mini-sub... It was going down uh, to uh the titan- titanic when did we start making jokes about tragedies before the bodies were even found and the, the latest yes. idea, they found the debris field which which basically means the um, sub must have broken apart but it's it's terrible
0: yeah i would i would agree and I, I think the culture Uh, And we'll we'll expand on this uh, in in a a few seconds, but I do agree. I think the culture in general um, has really unraveled uh, very, very quickly over the last few years. And I think it has really hurt and will hurt the movie industry as a whole, the patterns of, of what people do postcode. which you talked about a lot on this program over the last couple of years, but I do believe, uh, and I'll ask you, if there's anything else in your mind uh, in one second, but I do believe this past weekend with the flash and Disney's new, uh, Pixar movie, um, the failure at the box office, I, I think, is a glaring, glaring point uh, in in in, 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 uh, in, in film and all, and all culture. And I'll expand on that more in a little bit. But before I do, uh, you get a chance to see anything? You want to talk about anything well, before I, we get into the uh, meeting? I, I,
1: I said I had three things. He lets me st- say one, and then, hey, you got anything else? Of course I do. Got two other things. The other thing is, you know, a bit melancholy today, because on Tuesday, I'm scheduled to start a trial which may be my last trial, a career that began back in South Bend, Indiana, 41 years ago. I'm like that basketball or baseball player going out playing his last game. But the other thing, I did get to see something. It was from last year. And it starred Anthony Hopkins and Anne Hathaway. It could have been a great vehicle, uh, Armageddon Time. The the movie, which could have been a coming-of-age story, really wasn't a coming-of-age story. And when I got done with it, I realized... It was a two-hour commercial basically bashing conservatism. conservatism they had Donald Trump's father and sister were characters in the movie uh, and you know the people were getting all upset because Ronald Reagan had won the presidency and I realized there was more about liberal politics in that movie than there was about a, a story and it's really such a wasted effort because how do you make a movie where you get you watch the end of and you say okay what was the point of that how can you use the talents of anthony hopkins he doesn't have many more movies left you know thinking of people retiring he's 85 right or anne hathaway who's a I mean, she played a very good Jewish mother, but I mean, gosh, the movie just let me down. I thought it was going to. There were racial tones and everything. They couldn't make such a great message. Instead, they wanted to really, basically, make fun of the Trump family and Ronald Reagan. Which you don't need a movie to do that.
0: Well, listen, I, I, I think uh, I, I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to expand too much. But I do think, in general, there would be a massive difference between taking a shot at, at a president like Ronald Reagan and a president like Donald Trump. I think that. Very different animals, very different time periods. But I, I do think Trump is more fair game simply because uh, the circus that sur- surrounds them. I mean, they're, they're, they're all going to be. Uh, I actually think, you know, Oliver Stone is getting up there in age. And he just recently gave an interview and he talked about the state of movies and how uh, he, he said that he, he, he despised what he saw when he watched John Wick 4 on an airplane because I think John Wick kills like 122 people in the movie and he's sort of shocked the state we've gotten into in terms of just this, this being desensitized to uh, fictional uh, violence, but... Um, uh, I, I do think there'll be many Trump movies down down the road. I think you need a good script, an accurate story, an accurate story, not a fabricated one. But really, what went on behind the scenes in that administration, there, there is a fascinating movie to, uh, to, to, to tell, uh, don't you think?
1: Oh, I would love to see a movie about the Trump administration. I didn't really want to see Donald yeah. Trump's family really made it. fun of in a movie that was set in 1980. And his sister, remember, became a federal judge. So his sister was no slouch, and she didn't become a federal judge just because of daddy, which the film would imply at times. I mean, she's actually the smart one of the Trumps. But, oh, I would love to see a, a movie. Somebody will make a movie about that. going can make a movie about Hunter Biden one of these days, too. And those are, those are the movies that are great. I mean, we still, I still love the movie All the President's Men. And, you know, I lived through Watergate and was well aware of what was going on. So, hey, bring on all those Trump movies. I'd love to see them.
0: Okay. Uh, n- anything else on your mind before I get into uh, some of the things I want to
1: vent on here? My mind is completely blank at this point.
0: Okay, here we go. Now, this is why I think this past weekend was this really interesting barometer weekend and not in a good way for the industry as a whole Warner Brothers is a flash uh, opens up uh, let me just preface: This movie's been Delayed Which we all know uh, It was screened It was delayed Because of the Off screen troubles Of Ezra Miller And the, obviously The post-COVID effects They wanted to wait Warner Brothers They finally released The film to much hype It was screened At CinemaCon In April uh, 4,000 theater owners And bloggers And the reaction and Almost instantaneously Was there's something Really terrific here In this movie It's really Really good uh, A lot of bu- Michael Keaton's back with substantial and important screen time. Uh, they introduce Supergirl in this movie, and Ezra Miller is playing two Barry Allen's uh, in, in the film. So the the movie winds up. Uh, I want to use the word tanking, but close to a tank. $55 million, where at one point he was tracking at 140, and then he lowered that expectation to 75 over the weekend. Winds up going totally uh, in, into – I'm not piling on here, I'm just being honest. Uh, it, it almost goes totally into the toilet at $55 million opening weekend, which is, uh, by all intents and purposes, Ken, a disaster for Warner Brothers D.C. Okay. I went to see this movie, which I talked about on last week's show. I've watched this movie now twice in its entirety in bits and pieces because we booked it here at Pocono Cinema. In my opinion, this is a really good movie. is Is it a perfect movie? No. But Ezra Miller, I thought, not looking at what he's done off screen, just judging the work on screen... I think he gives a terrific performance. I think he's, he's quirky, yes. I think he's very entertaining. I think Michael Keaton is awesome in this movie. There's some of the Batman sequences, especially there's a Batman scene in, in Russia that I thought was off the charts. Very entertaining. Some of the best easily the best batman fight stuff michael keaton's ever done as batman uh i thought the way they introduce him is super interesting uh i I thought his scenes were really good i thought the movie as a whole was was enjoyable uh they reference a lot of back to the future movie has a lot of feel it's a time travel film dealing with the multiverse i thought the multiverse was explained very well uh, so overall, like I said last week, I give it an 8 out of 10. And I watched it t- twice just to make sure that my original view was accurate in my mind's eye. And I stand by that. So here's the deal. We now live in a culture, Ken, where people are going on YouTube to vent and basically yell into a camera to tell people not to go see a movie because it's absolutely terrible. Now, why these people are doing this, I have no idea. Uh, Why people are, are literally trashing this film around the edges on social media, I have no idea. I've seen many movies in my life. I know the difference between good and bad, and this is not even close to bad. This is a good movie. Here's the thing. I don't know... If the general public looked at the Flash as a sub-secondary uh, character, like they did Shazam in the last Shazam movie, which released uh, last month, bomb. that was another Warner Brothers movie. If you discount uh, in the last few years the Joker and uh, Matt Reeves the Batman, which did very well at the box office, Joker did over a billion the Batman did 770, and then Aquaman, the first Aquaman, did a billion two, which got off to a slow start, but then built word of mouth over Christmas time. People wound up seeing that movie worldwide in droves. But the other stuff, like Suicide Squad, which was released post-COVID, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, the uh, antici- uh, Emancipation of Harley Quinn with Margot Robbie, Shazam two bombed. This is uh, this is a financial going to be a financial loss for Warner Brothers, probably uh, with the math could lose the studio. Two hundred million dollars plus, which is not good for a studio which is not doing well financially. So the question is this and I'll ask you in a second. Do we have superhero burnout? audience of galaxy threes perform well do we have burnout in superhero movies do people just not care about the flash why wouldn't people want to see michael keaton as batman but the third point which i think is very valid how in the world do we get to the point in our culture where you have so many people writing and viewing toxic opinion based based on something that they want to root for something to fail in a vicious manner now again this is a complex issue because i know there's a lot of zack snyder fans and they hate the fact that warner brothers sort of kicked henry Cavill to the curb and james gunn came in and they said we're going to go in a completely different direction and cast a bunch of new actors so Ben Affleck won't be back as Batman, and uh, Gal Gadot, 90% won't be back as Wonder Woman. Jason Momoa, after Aquaman 2's releases Christmas, probably won't be back. Ezra Miller, I'll, at this point, I guarantee will not be back as a Flash at the failure of this movie. Evidently, they were going to do a Batman Beyond movie with Michael Keaton. May not happen now with the box office disappointment. So James Gunn and DC almost have to re build again Superman Legacy will go into production with a new Superman Knitman new Lois new Lex Luthor new Jimmy Olsen and they're going to try to turn things around but my point is what bothers me is I remember going I know this is long winded but I remember going to movies uh, I'll give you example in 93 Jurassic Park People had an amazing time, summer of Jurassic Park night. Nobody walked into the theater not wanting to like that movie. There was no social media. People didn't go on these platforms and, and, and analyze every nitpick and then take something with maybe a floor and then flip it on a dime to make it sound like it's horrible just because they want to destroy the entity or the franchise. The question I have is, are these people hired? by other entities, how much of an effect is AI having social media negativity? Like, what is going gone on, Ken, in our toxic culture to do this? And in my last point would be, and I read an article which I found absolutely fascinating, where a person wrote The Death of Cinema, and he said, with the failure of these movies, it shows that there's almost, you can put a, 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 a thread through the head of a needle. That is the the odds of finding a movie that's going to do a billion dollars plus worldwide now where everything else is going to underperform because people are ultra not just selective of what they go and see at a theater but ultra selective meaning art house movies are dead romantic comedies are nil uh, regular comedies people don't care about i just was looking at something that popped up on my facebook page of movie ads and then uh, it's, it showed the ad for Austin Powers when that first came out like 15 years ago or or I don't remember the date, maybe more. And I said to myself, would in Austin Powers, a movie that was a big box office hit and a great entertainment, would people even care if, if a movie like that was released in theaters now? And we've gotten to such a narrow point and so much toxic negativity, I, and I started to really question how do the movie theaters survive this landscape going forward now i thought they would bounce back completely to a point i don't think you know this weekend to me is 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 alarming and now indiana jones which comes out a week from uh from friday tracking like 60 million dollars crystal skull opened at 100 a lot of people on youtube are talking that film saying oh it's it's garbage i i've said heard a lot of mixed things some people really like it but like if people are rooting against everything that comes out, that has a negative psychological effect, I think, on movies in general and the industry. Do someone what I've said here?
1: Well, this has been a great show. We'll see y'all next week, guys. Uh, our time is up. <laughs> uh, Chuck, Chuck just hit. I think that was a nine minutes uh, segment there. He, I think he is actually pretty, uh, uh, pretty worked up about this. First of all, I do think people are getting a little bit of superhero, um, uh, a little bit of superhero. Um, fatigue. fatigue, and also, I think there's people like me who have real problems with the the meta the metaverses and the multiverses and the universes uh-huh. and all those verses right. and the the gimmick of bringing back five Batmans, six Spider Man, and all that other stuff. Uh, but as far as the social media, people, there's a big big section of our population who are basically miserable people. Those are the people. That if you misspell something in a post, they'll point it yeah. out rather than answering your post. Those are the people, when somebody here asks, where's the best place to get pizza? They say, look it up. It's been asked 20,000 times. Or what, what hotels are there on the boardwalk? They'll say, oh, why don't you use Google? And so it's like, because rather than using Google, we're trying to have conversation between people. So I think a lot of it is, first of all, I bet half the people who put negative reviews haven't seen the movie. And it's not they're being paid, they just like being being miserable. Um, everybody and everybody has to act a little bit smarter than everybody else. That's why when you have a really terrible movie, the critics love it because they know something we don't. Well, okay, maybe. Um and the same same thing with people. If everybody's if all the everybody's saying it's great, they can tell you how smart they are by telling you how terrible it is. And I think you're you're in the minority, I think, as far as people who really focus on, oh, this guy got you know this guy got dropped from the franchise this guy didn't and everything else because i think most of them even though they're on social media all the time they probably don't read that news they their attention span is so short they That's don't so remember great. who was in it last time so yeah. uh, you know it's it's and you're right it's that it, we we have this steady diet of the same movies and maybe people are are getting tired of it i just got an email here from uh the the movie tavern and uh for a Jennifer Lawrence movie called No Hard Feelings. Now is that a, it opens this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's Jennifer Lawrence basically, I uh, th- think she's basically an escort uh, because the, a wealthy couple hire her to date, and that's in yes. quotation marks. A nineteen year old son. I'm going to it's R rated. I'm going to go see it just because it's R rated with Jennifer Lawrence. I would much rather see that than see the Flash. But that's only because I'm a dirty old man, and it's supposed to be a comedy. And but the, the funny thing is that the ad from yeah. the movie Tavern says, a mid-summer full of car crashes, mind-bending uh, multiverses, and spe- okay. spe- spectacular superhero battles. It's good to find a laugh here and there. They're, I agree. They're starting to counter-advertise against these things.
0: And, and here's the thing about that movie. Uh, if you watch a trail, you have done a lot of Red Band trailers. From what I hear... The studio's aggressively trying to market this movie as a really raunchy comedy, and the trailers make it look like that. It's almost like, wow, Jennifer Lawrence, why did she do that film? Well, they paid her, and and she's very funny. But here's the thing. Most people in test screenings really dug this movie. I think it's like 62% positive. The people who like it really like it. But well, from what I hear, it's actually a very heartfelt movie, and it has a really strong uh, friendship storyline. A lot of the raunchiness is being overblown. In the trailers, are trying to get a specific audience. But here's the thing: the movie's tracking Ken at twelve million dollars. Okay, the production budget from what I read is forty-five million. Yes. So what I what I say to myself: Why does this movie cost forty-five million dollars? And the thing that pops in my head, and you're going to remember this: when, when in the '80s, there was a movie called The Last American Virgin which was a terrific movie and I caught that on, on basic cable. I used to watch it all the time and I used to rent it at the video store. I didn't see it in the theater, but it was popular. It did well in theaters. It was a really, it was a terrific R-rated coming of age, slightly raunchy edgy comedy, but that movie probably costs peanuts to make. Why do they have this? Here's the problem with the industry. You, it, if it's going to open at 12 and it costs 45 and it's not going to do big business overseas because it's a it's an edgy comedy, they don't do big business overseas. The risk reward to make movies has gotten to the point where like I would be really nervous to write the checkout for a lot of this stuff because you don't know if you're going to get your money back. But the marketplace needs more than super. It needs this type of movie. It, it, we need comedies, We but they have to be more. Cost effective so the studios can produce more of them. I think the problem is the production cost is insanely crazy. That's a huge problem, and I don't know how they uh, rat- ratify that issue.
1: I, well, I think the answer is, and I'm reading this from Yahoo Finance, so it has to be right Jennifer sure. Lawrence earned a half a million for the first Hunger Games. Ten yeah. million for the second, at least forty uh, yeah. for the third and the fourth. She asks a minimum of fifteen million for a movie role. Now she probably right. looked at the script, said, "Hey, this is a little bit raunchy, but it's gonna be fun to make." And oh, you know what? Twenty million, I'll make it. I bet you she's. I bet you she's at least a third of that production budget.
0: Oh, I, I, I agree. I would agree. I, I'm, I'm assuming she got between fifteen and twenty million to do it and and again you know it's a studio film you got uh you got uh union workers that's you know that's an issue they don't work cheap uh and yeah and then you got a 45 million dollar budget but you know ultimately i think that the 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 industry as a whole needs to try to learn how to make movies for 20 million dollars or less but you know this my
1: my hope is maybe maybe she does really well in this and she becomes a movie you know a, a a uh, movie comedy actress, you know, uh, um, even a rom-com type of thing, because she she's been very good in, th- in things like Silver Linings Playbook. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't have to play a superstar. She plays a pretty good Russian spy, I think. But I only I only opened up the email because it said Jennifer Lawrence. She's one of those people, especially among the dirty. She's one of
0: the last few. You can carry a film.
1: Yeah, especially among those dirty old men. She's one of those few people that you see and you say, oh, I got to see that. Because she is, I mean, I still think her greatest acting role ever was in Don't Look Up because they made her look frumpy. I mean, somehow they did. But, yeah, I I think that maybe what they need is something like this to hit, and then they realize, wow, we can do comedies, and not just comedies recycling Eddie Murphy redoing movies from 40 years ago. Maybe we do some new comedies.
0: But I I, I still think, I'll give you another example, and I was telling Mike this off off, off air the other day. I'm in my ice cream parlor, so I always, like, in the, early in the day, I um I put something on my TV to watch. I'll pick a movie. So I was I say, okay, you haven't seen the Shooters with John Wayne in a little while. Let me put that on. So I'm watching that movie. It came out in '76. I've always regarded that as I stated on this program is the best, my favorite John Wayne movie. I think it's a beautiful film. It's unbelievably poetic, and it's everything movie should be about. And there's a scene at the end where 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 John Wayne says to Lauren Bacall. Uh, uh, he, he he basically, he says, he says goodbye to her. And, and then she looks at him and says, goodbye, Mr. Books, knowing that that's the last time they're going to see each other. It's incredibly subtle, but powerful. And, and I'm watching this movie and I'm saying to myself, boy, you have to have, you have to have an attention span to get sucked into this movie. And a boy, I get sucked into that movie because it's beautiful filmmaking, but it's a style of filmmaking that feels like where did this come from? If you compare it to the to the stuff on steroids made now, and then and it popped in my head. Can I said. Could a movie like Unforgiven, with Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood Oscar-winning film, the Western, would, if that was made today, would any would it have? Would it make a hundred million dollars at the box box office? It would not. Like we have come so far, so quick in the change of what is being produced and the, what people this generation wants to see. And I think, like I said, and the reason I vented for nine minutes is because. the the, the box office failure of the flash to me is is a jarring blow to the industry and i think there's not a studio executive i don't care what studio you're at it it, obviously warner brothers feels it the most because it's their film but any studio is going to be wow like this is serious like like all the hype on this movie and yet people didn't go out and see it and my and my point is I think it's a really good movie. That's what bothers me. Like it is, I find it beyond perplexing. And I, I was scratching my head for for a few days. Like I don't understand how that happened, but it happened. And uh, I, I just really perplex what we're going to see in the next, you know, five years and where the industry and our, and our habits are going to go.
1: And you mentioned the Duke, and there'll never be another John Wayne. But I'll I'll tell you, if John Wayne today probably would not be very successful because he doesn't no, no, He doesn't fit not. the mold. I mean, and, and yeah. uh, but, um, and, you know, it, Westerns, when we have them, they, they all have to have a different twist now. You know, he couldn't go out there and uh, wipe out the entire uh, Native American population as he probably did in his movies. But, um, you know, we're going to talk about our, the 10 roles we wouldn't recast. I didn't pick right. a single John Wayne role because I don't think you can cast anybody else yeah. in any of his yeah, roles. I, 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 I would I would agree. M- maybe uh, Hell Fighters, but that's about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, two other things before we bounce into that main topic this week. It lots of things to Oh, by the way, before we get into that, uh, one bit of movie news: they, they did a, a premiere screening of the latest Mission Impossible: Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One uh, in Rome uh, a few days ago. The movie got raves. We've heard this before, but I, I, I'm believing the hype on this one. Uh, Tom, tom tom cruise uh is backing on he and he interviewed and and he talked about it. he said like how actively involved are you in the stunts in this movie and he said i'm the producer i am involved in every aspect of every frame of this movie listen people can say whatever they want about cruise off screen and his you know scientology or whatever but you have to respect and i, I you have to respect this guy does it right. I mean, he cares about the project that he's in. He wants to produce the absolute best movie that he could pr- produce. And you know, hopefully his movie hits big at the box office. I, I think it will. But, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting uh, month before we get to uh,
1: July. So was, we'll was see he, how. Do you think goes. he was throwing any shade at Alec Baldwin? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you know, I'm a, I was only the producer. I, don't, you know, I'm not responsible for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Uh, that that that's a that's a whole other
0: story. But yeah, maybe. Uh, one other thing. This week, and this is a huge week. This week in film history, June twentieth, nineteen seventy five, a movie called Jaws was released nationwide. It was released in the summer season, which was unusual. I've talked about this before. Unusual at the time because all the big. Ten, what they call tentpole movies like the James Bond movies, the disaster films back in this time period were all released at Christmas time. That was the, the time where movies made a lot of money in that season. and Universal, knowing they had a summer oriented film that took place on the beach in the ocean, said, let's take a shot here, release it in the summer. And that really changed the way movies were released going forward because it proved that summer was more than a viable opportunity to get people into uh, movie houses, and this movie made a, a fortune. And I'll give you an example, because uh, I was looking just to re- reminisce Ken of the time period. 1974, Jaws opens. It opens a $7.8 million opening weekend. That same calendar year does $272 million in its 1975 dollars. That was just in 75 and it played for at least another year in theaters so you had George's number one one flew over the cuckoo's nest was the to- second gross uh, grossing film 75 107 then you had shampoo dog day afternoon return of the pink panther three days of the condor uh, funny lady the other side of the mountain i'm not that familiar with that one tommy uh and then you had uh R- rollerball so, the one caveat that the, basically all those movies had, they were all geared to an older, more sophisticated audience, which is a completely, the ex, a complete exact opposite of what you have now.
1: Uh, everything may be other, habits. yeah, maybe everything other than Tommy. Yeah, but <laughs> a, a, a very, and, and you know, there's a saying,
0: you know, there's saying, you really can't go back. And I, and I guess, uh, and I am passionate uh, about this stuff in terms of you know in in, in looking back and ref- reflecting uh, the world is a very different place and i think it's not just about movies it's what you said in the beginning of the show the culture shifted so much and it just bleeds into everything else and uh i, I just i just find this a very fascinating period you know netflix just talked about extinction too which is the sequel to Extinction and said that it's one of the most watched movies they've ever put on streams, probably a two hundred million dollar movie. Chris Helmsworth. Didn't we talk about uh, Quentin Tarantino making that statement? If you make a two hundred million dollar Netflix movie and it stars Chris Helmsworth, is it really a movie? I'd say no, it's a TV movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: But, uh, but, but it is it was popular, and I guess it's good for Netflix. Is it a movie I care about? No, because there's no marketing campaign. And just one other thing to bounce off that, the, uh, the voting academy at the Oscars did a rule change this week. They announced that a movie to be nominated for Oscars has to play in a movie theater for seven consecutive days in at least 50 different marketplaces. So they don't want a movie being shown on Netflix basically exclusively, garnering a a bunch of Oscars. I mean, you could argue Coda, uh, which won the Oscar last year for Best Picture, uh, didn't get a big theatrical release, at least not until it won Oscars, uh, primarily played on on a streaming service. So I think that's a trend in the right direction. You know, Tom Cruise also in that interview said he'll do everything in his power to protect the theatrical experience, but... um, I think you need a, a a a complete mindset of the studios saying to themselves, you know what, if you're gonna put all this money into streaming. You can't have it both ways. I think you gotta take care you gotta water the seat of theatrical before you you know, worry about streaming. But if they want a piece of, of both ends of the pie uh, somebody's gonna lose here, Ken. But then
1: that's a but that is a pretty weak rule because basically you're saying you got to give it one week, and that is the Irishman rule. We're gonna call that the Irishman rule going forward yeah. because that's exactly yeah. what they did. And you know what? Maybe for for your theater, it might be a good thing because yeah, we're gonna play in 50 markets, but we're gonna stick it into the independent theaters. You know, and, and I don't know why they do that, but they do.
0: Yeah. Uh, anything else on your mind before we bounce into our main topic, which I think should be a lot of fun, our top 10 character uh, p- p- uh, roles in movies that we do not want to see uh, recast if they ever decide to do remakes of these films that we talk about?
1: No, I just want to note that us talking have put my cat to sleep next to me, so hopefully the audience is better than my cat.
0: Snoring or not snoring?
1: She's snoring. Okay, very good. Uh, I'm going to start with
0: mine. My 10 through 6. Roles that I think should never be recast because this actor or actress is too identifiable with this part. My number 10, and I, and I could have picked 50 different ones, I, or maybe 500, so we went with 10. Uh, here we go. My number 10, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Iron Man. This is the only superhero I had on my top 10 because his casting was so spot on, so electrifying, so perfect for this role, and it really put uh, a a groundbreaking change in the movie industry because Iron Man was successful and then he appears in all these Avengers movies and he is the heart and soul of those movies. He is great casting. John Favreau in Marvel at the time took a flyer on him. He had a lot of issues in his personal life they gave him a chance, and boy, that chance took off. He, re- he repaid them uh, with, with a tremendous effort. His charisma, his likability, he is Tony Stark. They will never, ever recast that role, in my opinion. So that's my number 10. My number nine, uh, Clint Eastwood is Dirty Harry in the Dirty Harry franchise. One, can they're never going to reboot Dirty Harry because in this age of woke, They're never going to touch this type of material. Dirty Harry is the edgy character, to say the least. He's certainly politically incorrect. Having said that, I never met a person who watched a Dirty Harry movie that didn't love Dirty Harry, but Clint Eastwood was born to play that role. I mean, originally they offered it, I think, to Frank Sinatra, turned it down. That would have been very different, but Clint Eastwood is Dirty Harry. Number uh, eight, this is a good one. Uh, How about... No more, No. don't even think about recasting the roles of Marty McFly and Doc Brown in any sort of Back to the Future uh, redo or reboot. Now, they said Spielberg and Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who control that property, who have exclusive rights, said they're never going to reboot the franchise, so don't worry. But you can't have another actor as Marty McFly than Michael J. Fox or another actor as Doc Brown than Christopher Lloyd. They were awesome. So there you have it. Uh, my number uh, seven, uh, it's is a more more serious fair, but I only see one actor playing Fredo in, in Godfather 1 and 2, and that's John Gasall. Uh He just had a look and a demeanor, uh, and he, he only did a, a handful of movies, all which were nominated for Best Picture, which was incredible. But Fredo in The Godfather 1 and 2, Uh, played by Giselle, was just pitch perfect. Uh, And I cannot see another actor ever playing that part. And my number six, never recast the role of Hilst the the, uh, cooler king. If you ever do a remake (laughs) of The Great Escape from 1963, Steve McQueen was iconic in that movie. One of my all-time favorite films, an absolutely pitch perfect movie from beginning to end in script and acting and direction and score. Steve McQueen, Hiltz uh, do not recast, so that would be my number six. Ken,
1: this was one of the few times where all the movies you mentioned, I actually would agree with them. They're ones I thought of, and I have to have to tell you that uh, you know it's when you, when you talk about Robert Downey Jr. Um, I think I think when we saw him play Sherlock Holmes, we realized he had that tongue in cheek type of character about him and he brought that same self-deprecation to iron man i I agree with you that was perfect my number 10 a little bit different than yours we disagree i don't think anybody should ever replace eric stoltz as marty mcfly okay my my number 10 was michael j fox but of course michael j fox replaced eric stoltz after they had actually started filming filming because eric stoltz sucked and you wonder how successful the franchise would have been, or unsuccessful, had they not done that. Sometimes serendipity plays a, plays a role, and it definitely did in that one. I agree with I, you, and I agree, it, too, it, with it, Doc it, Brown. It, and, here,
0: and here's the thing, here's the thing, is it, that stu- the studio in Spielberg and the producers... Had a lot of spying because you know they had to spend a decent amount of money filming half the movie with Eric Stoltz before they said, "Yeah, oh, we're we're willing to roll the dice to spend a lot more money to get rid of him and cast Michael J. Fox." So, a good
1: thing they did that. And like you, I also did some some pairs because sometimes it's actually the pair you couldn't you couldn't replace. Uh-huh. This is really a trio, and I'm going to go to one scene, and that of course is the courtroom scene when. Mona Lisa Vito was on this, on the stand. Nobody other than Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, and the late, great Fred Gwynn could have pulled off that scene the way they did. That was the, that was the, you know, the, the, the high point of that movie. The visuals of Fred Gwynn with, with uh, Marissa Tomei. I mean, it was just, just so wonderful. Marissa Tomei playing the bubble-headed, uh uh, hairdresser who actually was quite smart. And, uh, yes. you know, when, 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 he, uh, when Joe Pesci tells her you were wrong, or you know, do you still think that? She goes, I was wrong. And why were you wrong? Or, you know, and Fred Gwynn says, I want to hear this. So uh, Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, and Fred Gwynn, my Good cousin pick. Vinny. Good pick. I like that. This one, hey, they replaced half of this team, and I think it sucked. Um, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie uh, Foster... Could, and I realize Anthony Hopkins is only on the screen. He's on the screen less than you than your um, monologue before. But they, <laughs> they were so perfect together in in uh, Silence of the Lambs. I agree. Number seven. He invented the role on Broadway. They they recast the role after he had m- made the movie several decades later uh, with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, but only Yule Brenner can play the King of Siam in The King and I. He was born for that role. He is the king. Number six, he got an Academy Award for this. Well, he let the Indians have it, I think, or maybe he just turned it down. I don't remember. I I can't keep him and Brando straight sometimes, but George C. Scott, he was Patton. Yeah, I agree with that, too. he, He resembled him. He acted like him. Great role. George C. Scott and Patton is my number six.
0: What an actor. What a, You know, I, I think about George C. Scott because I was watching a few uh, last month, The Exorcist 3. I thought he was terrific in that film, but they don't make actors like George C. Scott. I mean, he did one bad performance in, in Firestarter. I thought that movie was terrible. I, I thought he was just... He was miscast and off, but what a great actor. Terrific talent.
1: Absolutely. Uh, good picks, Ken. Uh, let's go into oh, five
0: through one now, one at a time. I'll start. My number five... If they ever do a remake of Jaws, uh, I don't think they should recast anybody, but you can't recast Quint played by Robert Shore in Jaws in 1975. Uh, The guy was simply incredible. I don't know how to this day, when I think of how they chose who was going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year, and Robert Shore is not nominated as Quint. That's a head-scratcher, an eternal uh, head-scratcher, because Robert Shore was great. That speech uh, about the USS Indianapolis is iconic. Uh, I still, as many times as I've seen Jaws Ken, I still try to figure out exactly what was in the psyche of that character. And Shore did such a good job of that balance of, is this guy just completely off his rocker? Does he have a message or a motive why he's doing what he does? But when he turns the boat around at the end, going back out to sea, knowing that the engine will fail, I I just, it it just, I give so much thought to like, what exactly was, why would he want to say, there's one thing to sacrifice sacrifice yourself because you just, you have demons that you want to conquer and you just want to conquer the shock, but to sacrifice Brody and Hooper, uh, it's just a head scratcher. Why? Why? And what exactly was in his head? But that would be my number five.
1: And of course, you can't. You could never replace the shark. I mean, the his, his performance was wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Now I'll tell
0: you right now, his performance was a lot better in Jaws than it was in Jaws or Revenge. I get a- you that?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, some some roles you can't recast because the person basically wrote the role on the fly. And nobody did that as well as Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam, where about 12% of his dialogue can actually be found in the script. So you can't recast him because he made it up as he went along. And that's what made that, sh- that movie so great, was the zaniness of uh, Robin Williams. Because the story was okay, but the Williams performance and the fact that yeah, he made it up as he went along. Robin Williams is my number five for Good Morning Vietnam.
0: Good pick. You know, it's interesting, and I love Robin Williams. Uh, the guy was, like, an iconic talent. But, you know, when he when he started to do more serious fare and then used his comedic genius to intertwine in drama, and I thought you, you, you saw it, especially in a movie like that, something very special. And unique, and he might have had one of the most unique minds in the history of mankind, certainly in the entertainment world, no doubt. My number four is an interesting one, and I stand by it. Uh, You cannot recast, and they did, but you you can't. Uh, Robert Englis, Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Here was a train thespian, Ken, who got into the role of, of Freddy Krueger in the original 1984 West Craven movie and did him in a bunch of sequels and nobody did it better, nobody could do it better and they actually did reboot this franchise about a decade ago and Jackie Earl Haley, who played Telly Leak in Bad News Bears and, and, and revived his career with The Watchman, was cast and won, the makeup was horrible but and he's a good actor. But not even close to what Robert Englund can do. And if he's going to do another Freddy Krueger, Englund is in his, I think, his late 70s. Uh, I'd let him do it. I'd, 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 you know, I'd pay him real money to do it because nobody could do Freddy like Robert Englund. Uh, just a perfect match made in hell. Robert Englund, my number four. No more uh, Freddy Krueger without
1: Robert Englund. A match made in hell. I like that. My yes. number four also had an ad lib. There was a cat. That was hanging around the set. In an iconic scene, he's holding the cat, petting the cat on his lap, which created such a great juxtaposition between him, the person being gentle with the cat, and being the head of a mafia family. And of course that's Marlon Brando. He was the godfather. He's always gonna be Vito Corleone and a, a you know, I, I love De Niro as the young Corleone, but yeah, I do too marlon brando just because he got a cat into it you know when you think of it it was not in the script it was happenstance but it said when you watch the movie you thought that was done so you'd see what a you know a, a normal human being he could be because they had the grant you know was the scenes with him and his grandson total total happenstance but it worked really well marlon brando the godfather
0: i would agree with that 100 uh, percent. good pick my number three i'll say if you're gonna do an Aliens movie, do not re- do not recast Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver. I thought she was good in Aliens, and Alien, but in Aliens, uh, they rolled out the red carpet for her character. And not only is it one of the best sci-fi action movies ever, it's right there, I don't think any better, but her performance, a heartfelt performance opposite this little girl, character of Newt, uh, is just amazing, iconic screen uh, legend. It's that good. Uh, in a perfect film directed by James Cameron and she I would argue is the greatest female action star of all time because one she's a great actress two uh, she's very good with action stuff and James Cameron was a great director so uh, Ellen Ripley uh, Ellen Ripley the character in Aliens is owned by Sigourney Weaver Uh, no recast on that one my number three
1: I know you disagree with this one because I think it was either last week or the week before that we talked about this one um, and again, it's a it's a it's a pair here now in the sequel. Uh, the person um, did not play Lin Manuel uh, what, what is whatever his name is um, did not play um, the Jimmy same sweep, right? Dick Van Dyke, yeah, right? Dick but Van Dyke. He, yeah, he didn't play the same person. But Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins should never have been replaced. Should never be replaced. They should have never done the sequel. Uh, only because, and not that, not that, that the acting in the Lin Manuel, uh, yeah, whatever. I can't think of his name these days. But what? what it's not that the acting was bad, but Lin Miguel Miranda, yeah, him, yes. But yeah. I, I, when I'm watching that movie, it's like, oh, it's not Julie Andrews, it's not Dick Van Dyke. I know we did have a little cameo yeah, by Dick, but a good but one still, too. Yeah, a good one too. But they, they really shouldn't have ever done that because you could have done a a little bit different story, whatever. But uh, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke were that movie, Will always will be that movie, and that's my number three, even though I know you disagree.
0: Uh, listen, I'm not going to argue with the recasting because you have a valid point. I do think Emily Bunt did a good job in that in, the, in that film. Uh, I don't think it'll be remembered over time anywhere near the original Mary Poppins, and I had more respect at that point because I, I did like that. I did like that film, and I liked Beauty and the Beast. The live-action version, but Disney's gone to the well so deep now with remaking their uh, their their classic library that it almost feels gratuitous to uh, say the least. But I respect your opinion there. My number two, uh, I do never, I never want to see uh, a, a recasting of the character John McClane played by Bruce Willis in Die Hard franchise. Bruce Willis's uh, nuance in that original Die Hard in '88 brought something completely fresh and a vulnerability to the action genre that we have not seen in movies before. I thought he was perfect casting. He looked at a lot of different actors, Stallone and Schwarzenegger, uh, some of the big action stars, and then he looked at characters, uh, actors like Nick Nolte and Richard Gere as a possibility of John McClain. But they went with an actor from the TV show Moonlighting, and boy, did they catch lightning in a bottle, and it worked in a big time way. Die Hard is the greatest live action or a pure action movie ever produced, best script, amazing direction by John McTiernan, great villain in Alan Rickman, but you couldn't cast a better hero than Bruce Willis in that role of John McClane. So uh, do I think 20th Century Fox, which is owned by Disney, would ever get the antsy about doing a diehard movie without Bruce Willis? Uh, The answer would be maybe, yeah, maybe. The same way I think Disney can Eventually, we'll think about recasting Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones because the property in their mind probably is too lucrative not to. I hope it doesn't happen. But Bruce Willis is John McLean. No other actor should play
1: that role. Yeah, and I see them with Indiana Jones that they'll probably go to a. They'll probably be Indy's son, daughter, cousin, the next door neighbor's third wife, or something like that, rather than being Indy himself. But uh, maybe it'll be Illinois Jones this next time. Um, My my number two And I think we've done this topic Or something like this topic before And I think this is my number one last time But my number two Nobody could ever Singing, acting, stage presence Beauty at a young age And just when you look at it now Just thinking of the terrible disaster Her life became But nobody can ever sing Somewhere over the rainbow and nobody can ever be what Judy Garland was in The Wizard of Oz. And Dorothy. Dor- Dor- yes, Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz. Yes. And, you know, there's... I, I know we had the whiz that was done with Michael Jackson, and, okay, but hopefully they never tried to redo... Diana the, Ross. Yeah, ho- hopefully they never tried to redo The Wizard of Oz, and because that... When you think of people and roles that we've grown up with we lived all our life with judy garland is dorothy gale and that's my number two
0: it's interesting about that movie because you know we've used the word timeless and the movie was made back in 30 1939 but it is a timeless film and when you put the wizard of oz on your tv or you watch it at a revival house it never feels like it was anything other than yesterday not 1939 we both were born in 39 but uh or alive it it, it just is such a magic to that to that uh, to that film and it's it's very special and she was a huge part of why that movie was special when they you know when they use the concept very few movies have what they call complete 100 you know movie magic almost like the film is blessed by the hands of god and, and the wizard of oz would be one of those films in her casting, I would agree, would be right there. My number one for me was an easy pick because uh, so it would almost it would be sacrilegious to say the least if if they ever tried to do a reboot of Rocky and had another actor other than Sylvester Stallone play the character of Rocky Balboa, and that would almost go for all the characters in that movie, including Burgess Meredith is Mickey. Uh, Burt Young is Paulie and Talia Shia is Adrian but Sylvester Stallone is and was and will always be Rocky and I believe the Rocky franchise will stand the test of time. People will watch those movies, can in 50 years and love them just as much. It's just the connectability from actor to character to general audience is incredible in that franchise. So to me there will only be one Rocky Balboa his name Sylvester Stallone and he did that justice unlike almost any actor who ever played Apart in a movie, so that would be my number one, and it was an easy pick for me, actually.
1: And before revealing uh, Joseph Bologna in uh, the big bus, I, I, I have to <laughs> I have to do an honorable mention because I had him here in case sure. in case we had any uh, overlap in the in the final five, and that yeah. would be Lee Emery in Full Metal Jacket. That's a good pick, uh, and especially because he was a Marine drill sergeant. He yep. played a, a gunnery... He was. He's made an honorary gunnery sergeant after the movie. They actually great he, dad. he got that an honorary performance. But but the thing is, he preferred doing comedy. I can't imagine that guy actually preferring to do comedy, but he did. So that was my my honorary uh, honorable mention there. Honorary okay. gunnery okay. sergeant okay. Ronald Lee Emery. My number one greatest movie ever made. Greatest couple on the screen. Some of the. Greatest lines that you're ever going to hear, and that's going to be Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid yep. Bergman, Casablanca. That pair, that movie. If if you talk about that movie, what it's about, it's like okay, well, what where's the story? That movie was all actor-driven, character-driven, and they were the glue that held that together. And an un, you know, they were really not a natural pairing because she was you know he was definitely reaching outside his pay grade with that one but uh you know she was well above him but uh wow it was they they just hit it out of the park in that movie so humphrey bogart ingrid bergman from casablanca boy i gotta tell you ken this was a lot of fun this
0: was a good show i got my venting out (laughs) i'm very i have very strong opinions on a state of, of where the culture and the industry is in the film business, but the topic in general, I thought was a, a lot of fun. Always a pleasure to, listen to the listening audience. Thank you to W uh, to WO at Port Wayne, Indiana. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.